we acknowledge that there is no other name by which man must be saved but Jesus. And God, what a powerful name it is. You are righteous. You are our redeemer. You were before creation. You existed. And at the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And God, today I pray that as we as we dig in and, and learn more about who you are, about your name, God, that we would just begin to understand the greatness and the glory, the power and the majesty behind that name, behind every name that you reveal yourself as to us in the, in the truth of your word. God, may we be changed by that. May we understand your relationship with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be jumping around a little bit more because we're going to be looking at the names of Jesus. And I want you to remember that names are important because they reveal something about ourselves. And last week I talked about how names define our relationships. And I said to some, I'm pastor. Uh, And a matter of fact, uh, I got a, a message on Facebook. I told you I hated being called reverend um, on my birthday. Um, I had an individual wish me happy birthday, Reverend Grout. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> and it was a complete joke. They knew it. But, but it's just one of those things that, that come across. And so, so to some, I'm, I'm pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm Reverend. I'm, I'm Brian, you know, to others. To, to my three kids, I'm dad. To my wife, uh, it's whatever she feels like calling me at the time. So, <laughs> all right. Names mean something. And our names mean a lot. Matter of fact, I want you to think about this. When I say the great Bambino, what comes to mind? When I say his heirness or heir Michael Jordan, if I throw out, say, hey, kid, what comes to mind for some of you older ones? Oh, come on. Serious? You got no baseball fans here? Say, hey, kid, what? There we go, Willie Mays. Thank you. All right. Oh my gosh, I was like, wait a second, how about the great one? No, no, it's hockey. Wayne Gretzky, oh my, yes, we got, we got it going down. When you say that, you know things that come to mind. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, me being a, a sports fan, uh, nicknames are huge, all right? I, I mean, I think of like Derek Jeter, anybody know his nickname? Captain, right? Yeah, the captain. All right, there are, I'm, I'm, I'm big on nicknames. I started thinking about, if, if I said the name Larry Jones, how many of you would know who Larry Jones is? Well, he's a Hall of Fame third baseman. Played for the Atlanta Braves. Goes by the name Chipper. Chipper Jones. It was his nickname. The reason they called him Chipper was because he was a chip off the old block. That's what his family started calling him Chipper. When he was little, he was a chip off the old block, so they started calling him Chipper Jones. I had no clue Chipper's real name wasn't Chipper until I was like, until he had been in baseball about five years. I was like, his real name's Larry? <laughs> what? You know, like, what, what kind of stuff is that? But, but I want you to understand this. As you flip to Exodus chapter 3, God reveals himself through his word as multiple different names at different times and for different reasons. But by God giving his name, God demonstrates his desire to know And to be known by us, he reveals himself so that we can know him personally. And so the the, the 
Last week we looked at it and we said there's three reasons we want to look at the names of God through Scripture to understand. Number one, why should we learn about the names of God? Number one is this. We're commanded to honor God's name. In Exodus chapter 20, it says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We're commanded to honor God's name. In order to honor God's name, I think we have to understand God's name. We have to begin to understand what he's saying, what he's trying to communicate. So in order to understand and to honor God's name, we have to do that. We learn about it. Number two, we understand God's character and experience his power more intimately when we study God's Names, the names he reveals himself as, okay? This is what he calls himself. And number three, we we grow closer to God by knowing his name. See, the names of God reveal his character to us and his capacity or capability to meet our needs. Do you get that? The names of God reveal his character to us and his capacity or capability to meet our needs, Okay? So in God revealing himself to us through his names, he's showing his character as well as the capability to meet our needs throughout our life. And the problem is this. Our finite minds cannot conceive of the infinite God. Our finite minds, because we are created, cannot conceive oftentimes of the infinite God. And so we begin to question, we begin to not understand. And so today we're going to look at three names All right, and these three names, I believe, kind of go together, but I want to begin to communicate what they say. We're going to look at these three names that will give us a more intimate, more relational understanding of who God is. And so, as I grab a Kleenex real quick, because my nose is running like crazy, sorry, I don't know if it's allergies or what, that's the bad thing about this time of year. Um, I want you to understand this. If you remember anything, remember this. God is our master who desires a personal relationship with his creation and provides for us daily. Now, keep that in mind. That's going to sum up those three names today. The three names we're going to look at are summed up right there. God is our master who desires a personal relationship with his creation and provides for us daily. All right? So if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, and we're going to read, and then we're going to jump around. We're going to jump back to Genesis. But chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why, why the bush doesn't burn up. I'm not sure about you, but I'm pretty sure I'd do the same thing. What the heck? That that bush over there is on fire. There's got to be a problem here. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this... Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and all the otherites that you want to think about. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are opposing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go and the Israelites say to them, the God of your fathers, oh, sorry, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to him? In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, the name that we're going to look at is not I am as in the English version of I am, but the name we're going to look at and the first name we see that we want to dig in today is this, is Yahweh, all right? Yahweh carries the term or is the, the, the very meaning of I am, all right? Yahweh, a matter of fact, appears in the Bible over 6,800 times. You're going to see this throughout, that Yahweh occurs some 6,800 times. And in many English translations, it's going to translate the word Lord. If you look in your Bible, um, some of them may, some of them may not. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you that uh, my NIV, I believe, fell short on this because when you read in your English Bible, if you have capital L and then all capitals, O-R-D, now they may be smaller, but they're all in capital font, that is the term Yahweh. It's where we get our term Jehovah, all right? There is a problem here, not really a problem, because Jehovah never shows up in the Bible. Jehovah is a combination of Yahweh and the term later that we're going to look at next, Adonai, the vowels from the word Adonai, and it's put together, and we call it a transliteration. We take the English of everything, and we just translate it over, and it becomes Jehovah, all right? So it occurs over 6,800 times. It is a very key word for us to understand, and I want you to know that when you're reading your Bible, if done correctly, my NIV is not correct on this, capital L, capital O-R-D, that's the term Yahweh. And I want you to understand how important this word was. The Hebrew people, when they were reading the Bible, the scribes, when they would come to it, would literally be so worried about mistaking or misusing or taking the lame of the Lord in vain that they wouldn't even say the word. They would skip over it. They were like, I don't want to profane the name. I don't want to take it out of context. I don't want to misuse it. They would just skip over it. A matter of fact, a lot of times, after a while, they got into substituting what we would call Adonai, which we're going to look at next, all right? But when they came to the word Yahweh, Yahweh had a specific meaning. And I want you to understand this, that Yahweh carries this relational aspect that we have to begin to understand. Last week, we talked about how God is a personal God, and he wants to connect with us. But Yahweh really, literally, is a relational aspect. As a matter of fact, if you were reading the Hebrew Bible, I've got a picture. Ethan, throw that up there. Next part. All right. This is the term Yahweh. If you see those, those uh, very simple things, if you know anything about Hebrew, you read from right to left, not left to right. So you start over here. That's a Yod. That's a Y, all right? They don't have a J in their alphabet. So a Y is a J. That's where we get the Jehovah, all right? 
But you get all of this laid out, and when they would come to that in the Bible, they would not say that. It was so holy, so righteous, so redeemed, they they would not say that word. And so you begin to understand God's personal relationship, but I want you to understand this. As I began to dig in and I began to study, that I began to see some things that blew my mind when I saw this. See, in Exodus chapter 3, this word Yahweh comes out. And he says, I am who I am. You tell them I am. You tell them Yahweh sent me. That's the beginning of everything. And he is the I am. See, Moses asked the bush, who is it that sent me? And he says, I want you to tell them I am. And why don't you just see this? In the beginning and in what takes place, God is self-existing being. He doesn't exist Because something created him. He exists in and of himself. Nothing outside of God contributed to or contributes to his existence. So when he says, you tell him I am sent me, what he's saying is, I am the uncreated one. Why? Because I've always existed. Everything that exists, exists because of or as a result of me. Nothing has contributed to me. Nothing contributes to me, everything exists because of me, and I have always existed. See, Yahweh is the only true independent, I don't want to call it being, I don't want to call him a being, but at the same time, that's what it is. Yahweh is the only true independent being in the universe because he's the only being who is self-generated. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know how else, what else can. But listen to Psalm chapter 68, verse 4. It says, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides on clouds. His name is Yahweh and rejoice before him. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says, I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, while Elohim that we looked at last week is the side where God is the creator okay, that God is the one who spoke everything into existence and that and we understand that Jehovah is the side of God that relates with his creation, all right? So Elohim can oftentimes come across as maybe something that's distant, that God is some distant person who created but then walked away from his creation, that he spoke things into existence but then he just kind of let things go. But Yahweh carries this idea that God is relational. As a matter of fact, I want you to know This, in Genesis chapter 1, 1 through Genesis chapter 2, 3, we see Elohim as God's creative and powerful name. Yahweh, though, starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, is God's personal name. His personal name, his relationship that he has with his own individuals. And so if you flip over to Genesis chapter 2, Beginning in verse 4, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the, listen, here it is. In the beginning, Genesis 1, God, Elohim, created. Listen to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. When the Lord God, when Yahweh Elohim, you see what's taking place now? There's a relational aspect that takes place between God and mankind. There's a relational aspect that takes place right there that God begins to show to his people. And here is the awesome thing that I began to unpack as I studied this. 
See, Elohim may be the side of the God who created the heavens and the earth, and Yahweh may be that personal, relational thing that takes place, that, that relationship that we can have, but a person can believe in Elohim without knowing Yahweh. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the demons believe in God and shudder. In other words, they believe God. They don't acknowledge or believe in Yahweh, the personal, relational God. And what you have to begin to understand, I'm not talking about different entities. I'm talking about the names with which God reveals himself. So he says, I'm the great creator, but I'm also a personal, intimate, relating God who has a relationship with you. See, Yahweh is the God who personally reveals himself to us often through trials and struggles we face. And consider what happens. I want you to think about this. Matter of fact, I'm going to read this. I don't read. I've never, I don't think I've ever read from a book. But there's a phenomenal book I would encourage you to get if you want to read it. Tony Evans, pastor down in Dallas, wrote it called The Power of God's Names. And I want to read this very simply to you because it blew my mind. Consider what happens when the truth about his character, God's character, gets twisted or lost. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan approaches Eve in the form of a snake. Even here, we see God's revelation of himself as the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, or Yahweh Elohim. Now, the serpent, though, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And because of his craftiness, Satan sought to deceive Eve by subtly changing God's name. When he spoke to Eve, we read, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God, Elohim, said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden? In removing the name Lord, which Genesis chapter 2 shows us, the Lord God, in removing the name Lord, or Yahweh before God, Satan pulled a sales trick on Eve, and he sought to deceive her by hiding God's relational nature, and thus the relational impact of the deed he was trying to get her to commit. With the name Lord still in question, Satan would be reminding Eve through his own words about God's position as absolute master over and above both Adam and Eve. Yet he didn't use Jehovah or Yahweh. And when he, even when Eve replied, listen, she neglected to call God by his proper name that he had used to make himself known. And it says that the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, Elohim has said, you shall not eat from it. So Satan's goal was to get Eve and subsequently Adam to drop the name Jehovah from their association with God. He didn't mind if they called him Elohim, the great powerful creator. Such a God would be distant being way out there. But when Jehovah is brought into the conversation, God is a personal, interactive being who made purposed, designed, and intimately knows both Adam and Eve. And Satan was okay with Eve acknowledging God. He just didn't want her to have the personal relationship with Yahweh's authority. And that's exactly what goes on in today's culture. I'll get you to acknowledge God. Just don't have that personal relationship with Yahweh. Why? Because God is distant. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't want you. He doesn't desire to have a relationship with you when the truth is God is trying to show his relational nature right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. And Satan loves to pull a quick fix. Satan loves 
to deceive and mislead. See, Satan sought to deceive Eve, and Satan seeks to deceive all of us. So when we understand this Yahweh, we understand this idea that God is a personal, relational God who wants a relationship with you. And so as you're reading through the Bible, I want to challenge you as you read. When you come to it, don't skip over that Lord, all right? When you get into the New Testament, Lord becomes curios, which then converts over to something else, which is Adonai. But I want you to see this. All throughout, when they talk about that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, when you're reading that, guess what that means? God is showing his relational nature to you and I. Just as we see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, that God is saying, I'm not some distant God, but I am the relational God. I am. You know, we sing that song, The Great I Am. You know, we, we, we think about those things. We've talked about the I am statements that Jesus made, but I want you to remember that God is the I am. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. And we understand that because he's the relational God. Number two. And if you remember our key statement, God is our master who desires a personal relationship. That personal relationship comes through the idea that we get from Yahweh. Number two, Adonai. Adonai means the God who rules. All right? Adonai is the God who rules. All right? In your Bibles, when you read this, this is going to be capital L, little o, little r, little d. Do you get it? Are you confused yet? All right. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh. Capital L, little O, little R, little D, that's Adonai. And that's the God who rules. And I want you, you can flip over to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is where we first start to see this played out. And it says this, after this, the word of the Lord, notice this, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Abraham in a vision. So the word of the Lord, the relational God, came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield, your very great reward. But listen to what Abraham says. But Abraham said, O sovereign, what's he say? What's he say? O sovereign, anybody's Bible in there have all capitals? Mine does because it's NIV. That's wrong. It should be capital L, little o, little r, little d, because that's Adonai. O sovereign, listen to this, master. Abraham is acknowledging God as his master, his ruler. And he says, O sovereign master, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, no servant in my household will be my heir. But then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Here's the deal. Here's the picture that we begin to understand. When we acknowledge God as Adonai, the one who rules, we literally are turning our life over to him. He is our master. 
He is our ruler. He is the one who has authority. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the covenant that God promised to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15, some 10 years later, that promise has not been fulfilled. But what does God promise to do there? The ruler and master promises to provide. And here's the picture we have to begin to understand. A lot of times when we think ruler and master, we think a slave owner. And while we are slaves to Christ, what Paul calls bondservants to Christ, I want you to understand what ruler and master means. Because associated with a master who owns slaves, that's the idea. But get this, it didn't just mean ownership, but it also means responsibility for the well-being of the servants. The master was to provide for, protect, guide, and maximize that which he owned. Not like the slave system that was set up here in the United States some 200 years ago. A ruler or master was in a position of authority, but was also in a a position of responsibility that they would protect, guide, and maximize that which he owned. So when Abram acknowledges God as ruler or master, he's acknowledging the authority that God has. He's also acknowledging the position he has. And he's also saying, I understand that you will guide me, protect me, and provide for me. Regardless. As a matter of fact, later on in the Bible, Sarah calls Abraham her master her ruler, her Lord. You go and look it up. It'll, it'll be right in there. She calls her, him Lord. And she's acknowledging Abraham as a ruler. And I don't, I'm not talking from a subservient standpoint because with it comes a, an ownership idea, but it also comes a responsibility to her for Abraham or from Abraham. In other words, Abraham looks and says, I have a responsibility, not dominion, not rule over this person, but I have a responsibility to meet her needs, to provide for her. And God's role in, as Adonai, he fulfills all the responsibilities of ownership. He provides for, he protects, he guards, he cares, and he loves for. So when Abram is acknowledging and he says this, oh, sovereign Lord, he's putting himself into a proper understanding that God is his ruler. God is his master. And as a ruler or master, what are we to do then? We obey. We let him rule our life. Matter of fact, I want to draw this out just a little bit more, and I want you to understand this. Your relationship with Jesus Christ determines what happens in history because he's been placed above all rule and authority, and he demands ownership of your life. That's one of the things we see throughout Scripture. Jesus demands to be Lord. Matter of fact, I want to point this out. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. We always talk about this. It's one of those verses that if we want to lead someone to Christ, we talk about it. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as, get this, Lord. Guess what that means? Master. Ruler. If I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my master. Jesus is my ruler. Jesus has ownership and authority over me. But listen, Jesus will provide, protect, and look out for the best interest of me all throughout. Adonai carries this idea of being ruled over 
We are mastered by. See, when God is your Adonai, when you submit fully to his leadership, giving him full control and direction, he can use you and me in ways that we would have never imagined. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Moses. He did it for Joshua. He did it for the disciples. He's done it for many, and he can do it for you. When you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, then he can do it for you. But the question is this, are you willing to surrender? Acknowledging Jesus as ruler or master means there has to be a surrender aspect that takes place. And sadly, a lot of people in today's culture want to do this. Yeah, I believe in God, but he's not going to rule over me. He can't be master of my finances. He can't be master of my life. He can't be master of my decisions. He's not going to tell me what I can and can't do. I'm not going to obey this or I'm not going to do that. That's not acknowledging Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Lord means I have put him first and foremost, that he dictates and directs every step I take. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, as supreme ruler, He calls the shots. You acknowledge him in everything. You do what he says. See, the problem comes when people want a savior, but they're not willing to want a Lord. And Jesus says, he is Lord. And so when we look at Yahweh, the personal relationship, the God who says, I want to walk beside you. I am the one who loves you. I'm the one who paid the way for you. I am the one who has that relationship, who desires that relationship. We also see him as ruler and master because he rules over me and he has the right to. If he created me, if he sent his son for me, if he died on the cross for me, what what would that not require? He requires complete ownership. And complete ownership is not 90%. It's all. It's everything. It's everything that we have. I turn over to him. And the last word, we talked about Yahweh. We talked about Adonai. And if you remember our statement, God is our, listen, master who desires a personal relationship with his creation. Adonai is the master, personal relationship is Yahweh, and listen, he provides for us daily. The third name you're going to see is Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh, and it would really be Yahweh Yireh, because there's no J in Hebrew, Yahweh Yireh, and he literally says, I am your provider. In Genesis chapter 22, the story of Isaac, and it's really the story of Isaac getting ready to be sacrificed. Isaac is born, and God provides. Listen, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore. What you begin to see is this, that Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, 
is a great picture of what takes place when you remain faithful to the master, when you acknowledge God's personal interaction with you as his creation. See, God typically in scripture, when God reveals himself to someone, he ties his name Jehovah to another name that reveals something deeper. So he'll say, my name is Yahweh, and like I said, Yira, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh. And what he's saying is, I am the Lord, the provider. But here's the big picture. Here's the thing I want you to see. God provides Isaac, but in the same chapter, in chapter 22, verse 13, listen to what happens. Chapter 22, verse 13. And this is Abraham. Abraham was told, if you remember the story, Abraham was told to go and sacrifice who? (laughs) And everybody's like, what? God provided Isaac, and now God's wanting Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And I don't believe that was ever going to be the case. God knew from the start that Isaac was not going to die. But what God did is he put Abraham to the test. He allowed Abraham to go through a situation or a struggle to see, Abraham, how obedient are you? And listen to me, I've heard many people say, well, this is one of those things that some people say, well, I did that to see if God would test me. But I want you to understand, there's a picture that God's trying to communicate here that we begin to see play out here that's eventually played out in the New Testament. But in Genesis chapter 22, God tests Abraham in the most devastating way. See, he's, he's tested in a great way. It says that sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, he replied, Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And here's what Jehovah Jireh means. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord is our provider. And as God provided Isaac for Abraham and Sarah because he promised he would make him a great nation, God tests them in this, seeing how obedient God or how obedient Abraham would be to God. And God tested him in the most devastating way. Why? Because the very thing God provided, God said, are you willing to hold on to it so deep that you won't be obedient to me? See, a lot of times in our lives, what we do is we love the blessing. We worship the blessing. We hold on so tight to the blessing when the reality is that we should be holding on so tight to the blessor, to the one who provides the blessing. And in the midst of Abraham's obedience, and what you see in, in, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 3, it says this, early the next morning, Abraham got up. He saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out. All of those are action words that, that, that Abram did right away. Abraham was called to obedience And Abraham lovingly does this. He got up, he saddled his donkey, he took with him two of his servants, he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, and then it says he set out for the place that God had told him to go. Jehovah Jireh, the one who provided Isaac for Abraham, is now, in Abraham's mind, taking away the greatest blessing he could have ever had. But here's the beautiful picture. See, many of us don't know God as Jehovah Jireh because God is still waiting for us to act. God is still waiting for us 
to be obedient to what he's called us to do, to act upon what he said, even though we may not understand how it's going to work. See, whatever it is you're holding on to, whatever it is you're holding on to so dearly, you have to let go to experience God, to experience this idea of Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, the Lord our provider. Matter of fact, whatever it is you're holding on to, whether it's finances or family or marriage or health or career, whatever that is, a search for somebody to love in a relationship, whatever that is you're holding on to, sometimes you just got to be obedient. The reality is you have to be obedient in order to understand the Lord as your provider. So when we think about Jehovah Jireh, Abraham says, okay, that's what you call me to do. I guess I'm going to do it. Do you think there was heartache? Do you think there was turmoil? Do you think there was a struggle? Yeah, but Abraham was obedient. And what's funny is the Lord being the provider in sending of Isaac is also the Lord being the provider in the obedient step with which Abraham took. Because later on down the road in chapter 22, verse 13, listen to what it says. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. Yahweh Yira, Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, here's the picture that ends up taking place long after this with Abraham. And that is this, that one of Satan's schemes is to get people to focus on their problems and not on God's provisions. But I want you to understand this, that God provided the sacrifice for you and I when Jesus went to the cross. That a picture of Abraham and the ram and the sacrifice of potentially Isaac is just a step of obedience because God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to be the ram, to be the sacrifice. Why? Because God is the provider. The Lord has provided the sacrifice for which you and I can now stand before God righteous, redeemed, and holy, set apart and different. In the midst of walking in obedience, Abraham points eventually down the road to the sacrifice of the lamb on the cross. Why? Because the beautiful name of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection is what pays for our sins and is what offers us life and life more abundant in Christ. And so when we begin to understand the names of God, we begin to see that God provides for us in sending his son, Jesus. As a matter of fact, listen to Romans chapter 4, verse 23 through 25. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him. This is talking about Abraham. But for our sake also, 
to whom it will be credited. As those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Do you get the picture of what's taking place? Abraham, it was credited as righteousness because he was obedient to God. But in Romans chapter four, we all now have righteousness because of what Jesus did right from the beginning. Matter of fact, I want to read it more. I don't know what the heck that is. I don't know if I read it wrong, but I want to read it one more time. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone. In other words, it wasn't just written for Abraham but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Do you get that picture? We acknowledge God as the provider, but we also acknowledge and put our faith and trust in him. Why? Because we believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's the ram. That's God providing. That's God paving the way. That's God making that personal, relational, Lord and Master decision. Because listen, the Lord and Master Adonai is also the same God who sent his son, the master and ruler of your life, to die on the cross for you and I. He's the one who provided the sacrifice. When we couldn't provide the sacrifice for ourselves, in the midst of us trying to do good works by sacrificing certain things, by giving up things, by making payments, by doing all of that, Jesus says, you can't make the payment. You can't provide the way. Instead, I am the Lord, the provider, who provides the way with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so understanding God's name begins to understand or begins to place in a position and an understanding of God's capabilities and God's character, and it should draw us closer to him. And here's how I want to wrap up. Here's what I want to finish, because I believe this wholeheartedly, and I hope you understand what God's word says, but I want you to see this, that Satan doesn't mind you having a bit of religion. He doesn't care if we come to church to meet Elohim. He doesn't care if we acknowledge God, but we don't acknowledge the relational God. He doesn't care about any of that. As a matter of fact, he wants you to say, there is no relationship that I can have with God. He wants you to deny any relationship. But see, here's the truth, that the moment we bring Yahweh, the moment we bring God, the personal God in, he becomes so much more personal to us. And God is with us. He intimately knows us. He cares for us. He guides us. And he's carrying authority and mastership, rulership over our lives. And he's asking you to make him master, ruler, and Lord. Why? Because giving him complete control also acknowledges him as the provider. He provides for us in sending his son, and he gives us life and life more abundantly in his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we acknowledge him personally as master and love him as provider, we experience life and life more abundantly. Let's pray. Well, God, we stand before you today knowing that you are a personal, relational God. You have a desire to have a relationship with us. You love us. You cared for us.
And God, I pray that we would begin to understand your personal relationship that you desire to have with us. But God, I also pray that we would understand that you are ruler and master and that you have provided and you provided the final answer, the final sacrifice in the sending of your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to justify us by his blood and to rise again, offering us life and life more abundantly in Christ. Today, if you're here and you have never acknowledged Christ as your Savior, you have never acknowledged the provision that he provided in Jesus on the cross, we want to just very simply offer that chance to you. The Bible says right there that we looked at earlier, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, the ruler and master of your life, you're willing to turn everything over to him, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. And so right where you're at, you can very simply do that. Jesus, I confess you as my ruler and my master, and I ask you to save me. Why? Because I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that you rose again, offering me life. And so as we stand and sing with this, if you have done that, if you've done that, you want to nail that down, I'm going to invite you to come up. I want to talk with you. If you're worried about making it public right now and you want to talk afterwards, I still want to do that. But let's stand and sing. Let's close. Let's worship God as the personal God, a God who hears our praises, a God who we can acknowledge by name, the Yahweh, our personal relationship God, who is my master and my provider. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.